Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Good morning and welcome again to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. This is Elder David Wise here with you this morning, and we'd invite you, if you're able to come worship with us in person in North Mississippi, we'd invite you to come see us at Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church outside Ackerman, Mississippi. Go check out our website too, macedonia-pbc.org. And you can also go see Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church outside Caledonia, Mississippi. And both of our churches meet for Sunday morning public worship every Sunday. Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., and then also we have a joint meeting on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. in Starkville, Mississippi at the La Quinta Inn. So we would love to meet you in person. If you are not in our area, we would love to hear from you. If you enjoy our program, you can go to our website at gospel-of-grace.com and you can get all of our past messages, subscribe to our podcast, find a church that's closer to you, and also be sure and send us an email if you enjoy the program and let us know through what medium you listen to. To our messages. We would certainly love to have that feedback from you. This morning, we'd like to air for you the third of three installments of our message, Does God Love the Whole World? Election and John 3.16. As we attempt to rightly divide the Word of God and consider together how does the doctrine of unconditional election reconcile with John 3.16 that God loved the world. So this will be the concluding message of those three this morning. And we certainly hope that this can be beneficial and profitable for you as we rightly divide these scriptures together. The message will be aired right after the song, so we'd certainly ask you to stay tuned. May God bless you. No matter how dark the night Or bitter the winds that blow One touch of the Master's gentle hand And I am ready to go I'll go anywhere with Him Changing hand to leave. 
shall be John chapter 3, verse 16, and discuss for God so loved the world in context. Okay, John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I think that we've hopefully shown you that world does not mean all men without exception everywhere in scripture. I hope you can also see many of the problems when we say that God loved the world, he died for the world, but some of those people are not going to be in heaven. That is undermining the effectiveness of Christ's sacrifice. It's making God to change. It's denying the word of God. Just a multitude of problems when we make that assertion. So therefore, how do we reconcile, for God so loved the world, with the doctrine of unconditional election? So first of all, we have to consider John chapter 3 in context, Right? Jesus Christ is discussing with Nicodemus at night here in John chapter 3, and the main topic is the new birth, okay? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews, and Nicodemus, like pretty much every Jew at that time, believed that God only loved the natural-born, circumcised lineage of the Jews. They viewed all non-Jews, all Gentiles, and Samaritans as dogs, unclean, and they did not believe that God loved those dogs. They did not believe that God loved anybody but the Jews. And he is discussing with Nicodemus about the new birth. He says, marvel not at this. You must be born again. You have to be born again to see the kingdom. You have to be born again to enter into the kingdom. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whether it goeth. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. What he's saying there is the wind shows the effects of the new birth. Just as the wind blows a leaf, you can say the wind was there because the leaf was blown, right? So he's saying that there are evidences of the new birth outside the Jewish nation because Nicodemus at this time believed that God only loved the Jews. And he's saying, look, God loves a people much broader than the Jews. We find in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 that God's family is a multitude so vast that man can't number it. It's innumerable out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. So therefore, Jesus is trying to teach Nicodemus, look, God's family is way bigger than the Jews. God's family is out of the whole world. There are people that exhibit evidences of the new birth, people that exhibited the evidences of the wind of the new birth in their heart outside of the Jewish nation. There are evidences of God's children in the entire world. This is really the same lesson that God tried to teach Peter as he was going to preach to Cornelius, who was a Gentile. Peter was a devout Jew as well, and he was very proud of the fact that nothing common or unclean 
had ever entered his lips, and he also had never interacted with those unclean Gentiles. But then God sends him a vision and says, you know what, what I've cleansed, don't call common or unclean. He goes and he preaches to Cornelius. And what is Peter's realization? What's Peter's realization when he goes to Cornelius? Acts chapter 10, Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is not a respecter of persons, but in every nation that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. You know, Peter had that same realization that I think Nicodemus was still struggling with that he probably didn't understand when he left his interaction with Jesus. Peter had a realization that, wow, God's family is way bigger than the Jews. It's not about lineage. God's not a respecter of persons. It's not about God only loving one nation, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. In other words, in the entire world, God has people that have been born again, that exhibit fruit of the Spirit, and, and are among God's family. God loves a people broader than just the natural lineage of the Jews. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11, There is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, skithin, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. So the word world here in John chapter 3 and verse 16 does not mean the world without exception, as in every person that's ever lived. Instead, it's saying that God loves all men without distinction, without regard to nationality. And this was a tremendous jaw dropper for Nicodemus, no doubt. Okay, we just kind of read over it. Oh, God loved the world. But this would have been a jaw dropping statement for a Pharisee like Nicodemus to hear that God loves a people beyond the Jews. And notice this, whosoever believeth is not an invitation for you to gain eternal life. Instead, we see in the scriptures that those that believe already have eternal life. John chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. If you believe, you already have eternal life. It's evidence you have already passed from death unto life. So what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is not saying if you believe, then you can choose to go to heaven and gain eternal life. No, what he's saying is for those that show the evidences of the wind of the new birth blowing in their life, those that show the evidences that are already saved, they believe, they believe in Jesus, then you take confidence even if you're not a Jew, right? Who's this message for? This message is for people that are not Jews <laughs> to know that God loves you too. God loves the world. God has the people of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. And if you believe in the Lord, this is not an invitation for you to gain eternal life. This is an assurance that you already have eternal life because Jesus has already saved you. Jesus says in the two verses leading up to John chapter 3 and verse 16, beginning in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is not an invitation for anyone that wants to believe to gain eternal life. Anyone just can't choose to believe. You can only believe after you've been born again. You can only believe after you've been given faith in the new birth. So belief is not the cause of eternal life. Belief is an evidence that you already have eternal life. Belief is an evidence that you have already been born again by the Spirit of God. Think about this example from Numbers chapter 21. Who was this serpent lifted up for salvation for? It wasn't lifted up for the entire world. 
It was lifted up for God's chosen people. It was lifted up for God's chosen people that were alive, and they chose that were alive to look on the serpent and receive a deliverance in their life here. They would have physically died if they didn't look up on the serpent. They chose to look up on the serpent, and their life was saved. So God is not offering these Old Testament Israelites an opportunity to go to heaven. He's offering them deliverance and peace and salvation in their life here from the fiery sting of a serpent in our New Testament application from the fiery sting and conviction of sin. You have a salvation and peace and deliverance from that sting of conviction of sin when you choose to place your faith in Jesus and believe on the Lord. But notice who are the people that were called upon to look upon the serpent? Moses didn't call the Assyrians to look on the serpent. He didn't call the Egyptians. He didn't call the Gentiles. Who were called to look up on the serpent, figuratively look up on Jesus for salvation? Who were called? God's people. God's people who were already alive. You can't look upon the serpent if you're dead. So if you look and you believe, what is that evidence of? It's evidence that you're already alive, right? So therefore, we see another example that the evidences of salvation, such as belief, are not how we go to heaven. They are evidences that we are already saved. And that's really the main context of John chapter 3 and in verse 16. In the whole chapter, Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about the new birth. The new birth is necessary for salvation. The new birth is necessary to go to heaven. The new birth is necessary for you to follow Jesus in discipleship. But you know what? There are evidences of the new birth outside of the Jewish nation. There are evidences of belief in the entire world. So Jesus was not teaching Nicodemus that God loves every person that's ever lived in this world. The scriptures don't uphold that. Instead, he was teaching Nicodemus in the context in John chapter 3 that God loves the entire world without distinction. He loves a people out of every nation, kindred people, and tongue. God loves a people among the Gentiles just as much as he loves his children among the Jews. So as we close, let's answer a few rebuttals to the doctrine of election. The first one being, typically the first response to the doctrine of election is, that's just not fair. It's not fair that God chose Jacob and didn't choose Esau, that he passed over Esau. Well, we have to approach election from the right perspective. First of all, we have to approach it understanding that no one deserves to be chosen. God was not obligated to choose anyone. Therefore, we shouldn't focus and impugn God by saying, well, you know what? God, you should have chose everybody. You're unfair by not choosing everyone. No, no. It was God's right. It was God's prerogative to choose who he saw fit, and he chose to not love everyone. God didn't choose to save everyone. Salvation wouldn't be very special or unique if he chose to save everyone. But furthermore, the Holy Spirit gives us a very succinct response to this accusation, okay? In Romans chapter 9, we have the discussion of election, and the Holy Spirit anticipated man's rebuttal to say, hey, that's not fair. So in Romans chapter 9 and verse 19, Thou wilt then say, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing form say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? In other words, we need to remember our place. We need to remember who we are. God is God, and we're not God. He's sovereign. We're not. He's perfectly good and we're sinful. And we don't have the right to look at him as the potter and say, you know what? You messed up. You messed up. How foolish would it be for the clay to look up at the potter and say, you know what? You're wrong in the vessel you're making me unto. No, clearly 
the potter has sovereign control over the clay, and he has the right to do that. And God is our sovereign creator, and he has the right to craft his creation as he sees fit. In other words, God is sovereign, and he doesn't have to answer to us about why he didn't choose everyone. God was not obligated to save anyone. That's the first principle we have to understand. Man is totally depraved. He has rebelled against God. Everyone that goes to hell is there because of their own just penalty that they have earned because of their sin against a holy God. Everyone that is in hell is there because of their sin. And all of mankind would be in hell if it wasn't for the love and the mercy of God. So we can't look at who we didn't choose and say God's not fair. He didn't choose everyone. No, we have to look at this and say, God is so gracious, God is so loving that he saw fit to choose a whole group of people that didn't deserve it because nobody deserves it. So why did he do that? You know, God could have been just to just condemn everyone to hell, but then there wouldn't be anyone but the angels to praise him for all of eternity. Why did God choose a people to save? He elected a people in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. He predestinated a people to heaven in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. And then in the next verse, why did he do that? To the praise of the glory of his grace. Why did God choose a people to save? For his own glory and for his own praise. And it's much more honoring and glorifying to God to praise and extol him for his love instead of saying, you know what, he's a really good judge, he's a really good executioner. Everyone deserved penalty and he wiped out the entire world without exception and now they're all in judgment. He is a great executioner, he's a great judge. Well, no, God didn't intend for people to glorify him for all of eternity because of his judgment of condemning people to hell. No, he intended people to glorify him for choosing a people to heaven, a people to save. So the next question that we would commonly receive about election is, well, did God just choose a few? Because election on its surface may appear to be a very exclusive group. God didn't choose everybody, so maybe he only chose a couple people. Actually, election is very inclusive. When you see that most of Christianity puts restrictions on salvation that man has to meet, man can't meet these conditions. Well, there's a lot of people that are excluded from heaven that don't have the ability to meet those conditions. But when you take conditions off of salvation, and the only condition is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, when you take the conditions placed upon man as a requirement for salvation, now all of a sudden you have brought people into salvation that the majority of people in Christianity says has no chance. If you have to hear and believe the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ to go to heaven, there are multitudes of people in other countries that have never heard the name of Jesus based on no fault of their own that the majority of Christianity will condemn them to hell just because they've never heard about Jesus. But the doctrine of election says it's not based on your knowledge. It's not based on your knowledge of the gospel. It's based on God's love for you. And because there are not limitations placed on that, election is actually the most inclusive of all the doctrines that is in Christianity, okay? Why? Because God has a multitude which no man can number. Revelation 7 and verse 9. A multitude which no man can number. And notice that's not just vast, innumerable, but it's diverse of all nations, kindreds, and people, and tongues. So at first blush, people might say, well, you know what? Election is very exclusive and sounds like God's just trying to keep people out of heaven. Well, actually, what keeps people out of heaven is a work salvation. What keeps people out of heaven is a conditional election or a conditional salvation because you're restricting everyone that can't meet that condition. Instead, 
Instead, everyone is on the same plane before God. No one is worthy of God's love, but God saw fit to choose people who didn't choose him. So the last question we want to answer for you is the concern of what if God didn't choose me? I've heard you say that God chose the people before the foundation of the world. It's God's choice. It's God's will. It's not my choice. It's not my will. I love the Lord. I believe in the Lord. I love my neighbor. I try to do good works. But what if God didn't choose me? Well, I'll tell you, those are all evidences that God did choose you and you are among God's elect. So you don't need to be concerned that there's someone out there who loves God and believes in Jesus and exhibits good works, but God didn't choose them because that person does not exist, okay? Those are all evidences of the new birth. Those are all evidences that God did save you, that God did choose you. And that's why we have to have the correct perspective. When we see someone believe, when we see someone love the Lord, when we see all of these evidences of salvation, most of Christianity says, this is what you have to do to go to heaven. But I'm telling you that this is not the conditions that you have to meet to go to heaven. These are the evidences that you are already going to heaven, okay? So we don't need to look at these things and say, wow, I see someone that believes, I see someone that loves God, that does good works, Man, what if God didn't choose them? No, we need to look at them and say, that is evidence that God did choose them. You see, we don't choose to love God to go to heaven. We love God because he first loved us. First John chapter 4 and verse 19. Belief is an evidence of salvation, an evidence that we are already in present possession of eternal life. John chapter 5 and verse 24. Paul had confidence in the Thessalonians election of God, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Why? Because he had seen their work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, and then their belief of the gospel. So if we see evidences of salvation, we certainly don't need to be concerned that maybe God didn't choose them. No, that is evidence and assurance that God did choose them because only a child of God can exhibit those evidences. So I hope we have seen from the word of God that, that the word world has to be rightly divided. I believe as we rightly divide the word world in John chapter 3 and verse 16, comparing it with other scriptures that limit God's love, not of him loving everyone without exception, but him loving his distinct elect before the foundation of the world, that God doesn't love everyone without exception. He didn't love everyone and die for everyone on the cross. Otherwise, we are undermining the integrity of God, the effectiveness of Jesus' sacrifice, and we're saying that the blood of Jesus was shed in vain, and there's something that can separate us from God's love. Instead, we see that God chose out of people before the foundation of the world, not based on a future belief, not based on a future work, but based solely on his own sovereign grace and love, and those elect that Jesus died for and saved on the cross are the exact group of people that shall be with him in heaven at the end of time. Why did God do all this? Why did God do all this? We have to have the right perspective of election. We think that God owes everybody a shot. We think that God owes everyone a chance. And therefore, we're offended that God didn't choose some people. When we have the correct perspective that all of mankind is ruined and depraved in sin, no one is worthy of God's love, no one is worthy of God's affection, but out of that entire lot that God didn't know us anything, God chose out a people to glorify him for his grace, to the praise of the glory of his grace. We should just look at unconditional election and glorify God together of his choice. And by the way, if you have that desire, if you have that desire to glorify God, that is evidence that God did choose you. So you don't need to be concerned about who he didn't choose because that is evidence that he chose you. 
So you just need to examine the teaching of election in the Word of God, learn more about it. Certainly let me know if I can help you in your study of election and learn more about it. But don't be afraid of election. Don't be afraid that God just chose a few people. Don't be afraid that election is unfair. Don't be afraid that maybe God didn't choose you. Don't be afraid of something just because you don't know. Election is a beautiful doctrine that if it wasn't for God's election, no one would go to heaven. If God left salvation up to works, if God left up salvation as a conditional transaction that you have to do something to go to heaven, then heaven would be empty except for God and the angels. The only reason that there are people in heaven is because of God's grace. The only reason that people will be going to heaven is not because they believed. It's not because they did good works. It's because God chose them before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ redeemed them and paid for their sins by his blood on the tree of the cross. And that is the reason that we're going to be with God in heaven at the end of time to the praise of the glory of his grace, to praise and glorify God for all of eternity for saving us by sovereign grace. Why did God do that? So that me and you, the chosen, the elect, will glorify him for his choice and for his election. So I hope that these things are understandable for you, but not just understandable. I hope that you can see the beauty of this, to praise and glorify God for the beauty of election. Don't be afraid of unconditional election. Don't be afraid of election, but glorify God that he chose you because if he didn't choose you, you had no hope of heaven. Let's praise God together today for his unconditional election to save a people to heaven by his own free and sovereign grace. May God bless you. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast, entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the grace of Jesus.